you dated Mr. Big. I'm dating Mr. Too Big. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but she she would not say that about me. Hello, hello, and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. Just like no one asked us to, we're coming back with season two. This season will take us to some exciting locales like sexy New York, affluent California, dusty South Dakota, and even somewhere a bit radioactive. This is the podcast where we celebrate HBO's prestige programming with subpar commentary. Each episode, we'll look into a show from HBO's past and tell you if it's worth your watch. I'm Nicole, and along with me is David. Hello, hello. And joining us tonight is your wife, Nancy. Hello. What are we doing today, David? Nicole, today we are going to talk about sex and the city. Well, that's what we normally do, but what show are we doing? <laughs> Sex and the City ran from 1998 to 2004 for six seasons and 94 episodes. Even purposely filmed alternate scenes with different content so that the show could easily transition into syndication outside of HBO. So despite HBO having nudity and cursing and varying uh, episode length, they purposely made sure that they had a nice, friendly 22-minute cut for traditional TV. And this show follows a sex columnist and her friends on their adventures in the dating scene of high society New York. Is she exclusively a sex columnist? That I don't know. She refers to herself as a sexual anthropologist, which sounds like a monster. It sounds like something a teenage boy would get horny over and also like have nightmares over. <laughs> like he would wake up in the middle of the night with a heart on and sweats and his mom would be like, what's the matter? And he's like, what's a sexual anthropologist? Well, I don't think we could do this alone. This is too much. We need an expert. So we brought in the big guns. Thank you for joining us today, Nancy. Hello. Doing well. So Nancy and I are very familiar with Sex in the City because we sometimes <laughs> role play uh, Sex in the City. She's the sex and I'm the city. Uh, just last weekend, she was doggy style and I was Detroit, Michigan. And you guys are married for anyone who doesn't know that. <laughs> yes, we are. So let's talk a little bit about our experience with Sex in the City. Uh, so I've only seen a few episodes myself. Uh, I watched the pilot before today. Nicole, Nancy, what about you guys? I watched the show in my college apartment with my cat. <laughs> <laughs> I was dating a guy who lived hours away. And uh, when I wasn't working or doing homework or at school, I was not moving very much. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I do suspect I had not seen it start to finish. Okay. Because I did not remember one second of the first episode. So Ooh, okay. What about you, Nancy? Yeah, so I think I watched it in college, but it was like on the, the TBS version. So wildly different from HBO. Um, but then I did get the like the whole box set pack of DVDs at one point and piled through those. Was there anything dramatic that you remembered in a difference between the two, just off the top of your head? Was there any like fundamental big changes that you remember between the two versions? 
Well, just obviously, like the the cursing would have like "gosh darn it" or some. <laughs> oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking stupid. <laughs> Did it feel weird though that the fact that they were they were like less spicy? Well, this well, that was the first time going through it for me. So oh. I watched it the first time seeing it, like on the T- TBS version, the censored version, so to speak. So okay. We got so close to seeing a hot dog in this episode. There was nudity right out of the gates. The opening montage had some boobs, but no hot dogs. Just an almost hot dog. Yeah. Was there hot dogs? Did we see any dong? I don't recall there being any. No, I don't think so. I don't want to give away anything for our audience. Is Mr. Big called Mr. Big because he has a big dong? I don't think they discuss his penis size, do they? No, I think they just kind of like that is his nickname and we don't get any explanation as to why he has that nickname. That's fucking genius. He's already rich and good looking and then he puts out this nickname as if he has a big dong. This guy's got everything going for him. <laughs> Who created him? This genius. Uh, it started with Candace Bushnell. So Candace was born into Connecticut money. Uh, her dad uh, made a battery for NASA and like she had a horse growing up. So she was well off. And her parents, though, were big on making sure that none of the kids sort of got all this wealth. Um, so they wanted to make sure that they earned uh, their own livings. So when she was 18 years old, she moved to New York and she you know, was a broke ass freelance journalist for a few years. And in 1994, she got a gig to write a series of articles for the New York Observer. And her idea that she said is that she thinks it should be about her and her friends who are all single and crazy. And her editor-in-chief, Peter Kaplan, came up with the name, Sex and the City. So eventually all those articles were collected and published in 1997 as Sex and the City. She also wrote a few prequel novels later on, The Carrie Diaries and Summer in the City. Did either of you watch The Carrie Diaries adaptation on the CW when it came out? I did. I watched the the Carrie Diaries. Was it any good? It was cute. It was cute. It was cute. Yeah, that's not that's not a great recommendation, <laughs> Nancy. It was cute. Do you feel closer to Carrie after having seen it? Yeah, well, like if you if you have seen Sex in the City and then you go and watch Carrie Bradshaw preteen teenage, it's it's a little weird. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, jeez, because you know what she becomes. <laughs> is is it one of those like darth vader shows for example is it like he's a murderous space villain but look at him as a cute little kid or is she already fully formed like is it trying to teach us that she was different and goes through experiences to become carrie or is it like she's already carrie bradshaw well i think for the carrie diaries it focused more like she was she was very into her writing and very into fashion Uh, Candace Bushnell also wrote Lipstick Jungle, and that eventually became a series, too. Nicole, you watched this one, yes? I watched it. I actually really enjoyed it. It was there and then it was gone, which was unfortunate. But one of the main actresses from it is actually plays a cardiologist on Grey's Anatomy, and I liked her in both. Is she the girl that has sex with a ghost? No. Okay. That's Katherine Heigl. You know very well who that is. Right, but I didn't you know if she was the one from Lipstick Jungle. Every time. <laughs> it's literally the only thing I know about Grey's Anatomy is that there is a ghost sex scene, and it's great. <laughs> um, so Darren Starr started to make this show for HBO. Uh, 
Darren Starr had to convince Sarah Jessica Parker to do the show and then reconvince her because she hated the fucking pilot and she wanted to quit. And he kind of talked her into it. Was in 1997 Sarah Jessica Parker really like at liberty to behave like this? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I didn't know who she was. Back She'd then done like Hocus Pocus, maybe stage. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think stage was part of it. I think she did want to do more stage work and she was like afraid to get locked down to like a shitty TV show. Um, There was about a year between the pilot and when they actually put the show into production to make the changes that Sarah Jessica Parker wanted. He hired a mostly female staff. Now, you guys know Darren Starr. Uh, He created Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place, Younger and Emily in Paris, uh, which our producer hated. But for Sex in the City... According to TV Guide and Time Magazine, it's one of the greatest shows of all time. It was nominated for 50 Emmys and 24 Golden Globes. And it was the first cable show to win an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series. It was obviously huge with the critics, but it also had like a huge impact on culture. Yeah, the the New York Times credited Sex and the City and its costume designer, Patricia Field, with uh, starting new crazes, such as uh, Carrie's nameplate necklace that became all the rage in the 90s, from what I remember. (laughs) Did you have one? I did. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there's no shame in that. It definitely started the uh, the trend with the Manolo Blahnik shoes, the that fab fashion. Mm Mm-hmm. And then also the flower corsages and visible bra straps. Everyone just had their bra straps hanging out now. And yeah. nipples. <laughs> wasn't there like down here, wasn't it a big craze uh, down locally here too? Well, so when they were making the movie, Patricia Field, I believe, is, was still the costume designer for the first Sex and the City movie. And I had read some article at the time because I was very much looking forward to the release of the movie that Patricia Field actually went down to South Florida, uh, where our podcast is based, to shop for a wardrobe for the Sex and the City movie. Whoa. And I was like, okay, we're, we're taking a road trip down to Lake Worth, <laughs> and we're going <laughs> to hunt for this shop <laughs> and buy some, some Sex and the City swag. <laughs> That's a really cool tidbit. I never knew that. Yeah. So it was obviously a big craze when it was on. Is it still impactful, like the fashion stuff, or did I kind of fade away? Yes, yeah, so Field described the the show's influence as quote like sitting at the bottom of an atom bomb, which is quite a descriptive. <laughs> it's a good way to get a tan. Yes, that 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 goes all the way down to every layer of skin for yeah. you. <laughs> and the the Guardian on the the show's lasting influence, they quoted the the fashion editor Chelsea Fairless. She said, I would venture to say that the mix of high fashion and fast fashion that Patricia Field brought to the show influenced most people who work in fashion in one way or another. I don't work in fashion and I would never wear what these women wore. But yeah. Is the stuff they wore only for like upper class? I think that you could definitely pull off some of it. Yeah, I think like a lot of this stuff you could find at thrift stores and just, you know, off the rack kind of stuff. Like it was basically kind of like like dress your own doll up type of thing. It was like whatever okay. fashion you feel comfortable in, whatever expresses your hmm. what you're feeling or the way you want to portray yourself, it, you just you wear it and you own it. <laughs> okay, so it, it wasn't like 
it didn't have to be a specific designer. It was it was just making fashion part of your language and and part Accessible. of your experience. Yeah, okay. So they had a huge impact on fashion. Sex in the City, they're fashion editors, but um did they affect any other influence on the world, the watchers, the audience? Yeah, I think that it it was definitely a show that had an influence on women feeling more comfortable with having multiple partners and being more open with their sexuality than they had in the past. It almost felt uncomfortable to get that permission from watching the show. You were like, wait, does anybody know that they're telling us that we can do this? (laughs) Watching an episode of How I Met Your Mother the other day, one of the characters for a wedding shower bought a uh, dildo for the character. And so the point of the episode was that they, they didn't want the, the angelic mother and the, the pleasant, quiet, uh, prudish aunts to see this gift. But when they did, the one responded, oh, my God, it's the same one I saw on Sex in the City. <laughs> and then all of the women started <laughs> laughing and, and giggling. So it, it was even teaching you know, kind of this this running bit was that I was even teaching older women it's okay to discuss this. Yeah, that's another funny point, a weird relation, I should say, to this show is the way that they film the table scenes. They spend a lot of time sitting in the cafe like Seinfeld does, and they, you know, Sex in the City, they're all sitting there having these discussions, so. I think it's it's so impactful because of the characters, though. So let's let's run through the, the four main women. We We know who Sarah Jessica Parker is. I mean, she's at this point, not in 1997, but at this point, certainly a household name. She won two Emmys, four Golden Globe Awards for Best Actress in a Comedy, and three Screen Actors Guild Awards for her role as Carrie. She got her start as a ballerina and attended the School of American Ballet in New York City. She was in a ton of movies in the 90s and 2000s, including Footloose, Honeymoon in Vegas, Hocus Pocus, Amuck, 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 (laughs) First Wives Club, (laughs) Family Stone, which is an incredible film, and lots of other movies as well. She starred in another HBO series called Divorce, which I actually thought was a Sex in the City um, sequel, but oh. it's not. And she was nominated for that, for a Golden Globe. So she still got it. Yeah, she still got it. So that's Carrie Bradshaw. Next, we have Charlotte York, who was played by Kristen Davis. Uh, she had guest starred in lots of television uh, shows, uh, like General Hospital, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, ER, Melrose Place, Friends, Will and Grace, and even uh, made a guest spot on uh, Seinfeld. That's right. She's the toothbrush girl. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So Jerry accidentally dropped her toothbrush in the toilet. And before he could clean it, she used it. And it sent Jerry on a dangerous spiral where he couldn't kiss her. And then eventually he gets over it and then she gets hit with an exploding toilet and they have to break up. As one does. Yeah, that happens. (laughs) How many of us haven't lost a relationship because an exploding toilet? (laughs) Kristen Davis also starred in a lot of uh, family-friendly movies like Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, The Shaggy Dog, Deck the Halls, Journey to the Mysterious Island, and Evan Almighty. She was nominated in 2004 for her role as Charlotte for a Golden Globe and an Emmy. Next up is my personal favorite, Samantha Jones, who's played by Kim Cattrall. So she was a huge star and a sex symbol in the 80s and 90s. She was in Police Academy. She was in Porky's. But I fell in love with her in Mannequin and Big Trouble in Little China. 
in Big Trouble in Little China, Nancy, Nicole, let me explain to you. The whole fate of Chinatown rests on the fact that she's pretty. I'm not kidding. <laughs> she shows up. They're looking for an Asian woman who has like a history and a heritage related to like how they're going to control the underworld of China or something. And then Kim Cattrall shows up and her eyes are so green that they're like, fuck it. Let's rule the underworld kingdom with this girl. The gods of the Chinese underworld were like, yeah, she'll do. She'll do real nice. <laughs> she was also in Mannequin, where, again, she was so pretty as a mannequin that she became real. Or she was like an Egyptian goddess frozen or something. The plot doesn't matter of Mannequin. Um, she turned down the role several times because she was worried that she was too old and that the her age would prevent her from doing the role justice. Um, she even ended up passing on the third movie uh, when they tried to get that going for the same reason. And she will not be part of the spinoff. So I'm bummed about that. But Kim Cattrall did receive five Emmy nominations and four Golden Globes. So she rocked it as Samantha. And I'm in love with her. <laughs> and Nicole, I'm going to take a minute and just think about Samantha. Why don't you close out the top four for us? Closing it out with Miranda Hobbs, played by Cynthia Nixon. She's had a long Broadway career. She won the 2006 Tony Award for Best Actress in a Play for Rabbit Hole. Can I just start by saying Cynthia Nixon almost has an EGOT. Like, that's pretty yes. spectacular. Crushing it. In 2017, she won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Play for The Little Foxes. She won the 2004 Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. She also won a 2009 Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word Album for An Inconvenient Truth by Mr. Al Gore. Cynthia Nixon, she ran against Andrew Cuomo in 2018 for Governor of New York, and he won. Spoiler alert. And then he sexually harassed a bunch of his coworkers, so they probably should have <laughs> voted for Miranda. <laughs> so, Nancy, you're our Sex in the City expert. Take us through the first episode of Sex in the City, the pilot. We start off with Carrie Bradshaw. Uh, she's a self-proclaimed sexual anthropologist, as we've noted. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a job title if anyone ever had one. <laughs> Digging up sex in the streets of New York. <laughs> so she writes a column called Sex in the City uh, in New York City. And she's currently working on an article in this episode about having sex like a man, which basically means with no attachments or feelings. And under two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so she and her friends uh sexy samantha sensitive charlotte and mean miranda can i, can I just like i'm just gonna go through that again and not david <laughs> descriptive david <laughs> since that's david's Stop mean it. like this is like can we not alliterate <laughs> you got another m word for her. go ahead <laughs> Uh, so Carrie and her friends, uh, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda, they, they discuss the finer details of what having sex like a man means and how they may help in Carrie's research. So Carrie runs into an ex, um, and in order to try out her theory for her column, uh, she uses him for sex and... When he's gone down on her and has pleasured her, he expects it to be her his turn to to be reciprocated, and she basically bails on him <laughs> and just uh, pieces out. Gotta go. <laughs> She's yeah. like, "All right, I got uh, shit to do, and <laughs> I don't have time for this. It's literally a job, and I don't have time for it." <laughs> <laughs> 
So she basically bails out. And as she's leaving the building, she runs into a gentleman on the street and she ends up nicknaming him Mr. Big. Yeah. Well, she proceeds to fling condoms all over the streets of New York. Now he knows that I carry around textured condoms with a little area reservoir, I think she actually called it. Yeah. So when she bumps into him, her purse spills. And yeah, her first thought is not about like her phone or her pager or whatever the fuck else people were using during the 90s. But yeah, she really focuses in on the type of condom that she was using. David, they don't even get the internet till season three. They have to like beg Carrie to get an AOL account. Are you serious? So she can email a guy. Yes. Sexting must have been awful back then. <laughs> so we, we switch around a little bit and we jump into the B plot. Carrie fixes up lawyer Miranda with her hopeless romantic friend Skipper who is accused of being too nice. Um, so Miranda shows up at the date with Skipper, and she's on edge, and she traps Skipper in this weird logical argument where she complains about women who only care about their looks and are only care about being pretty. And then he says, well, the women not like that are really interesting. And then she's like, oh, so you don't think I'm pretty? And he's like, no, of course you're pretty. And she's like, so I must not be interesting. And it's just, it's some bullshit. And poor Skippy's caught in a trap here. David's caught in deja vu. Yeah, I've been here. I've been here. This has happened with so many Hooters waitresses. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, so I do, end, actually. I've heard all the stories. <laughs> You've heard the stories. At the end of the date, Miranda tries to give Skipper the brush off. She's like, well, I had a really good time. It was really nice to meet you. But, and she's about to relegate him to the friend zone. And Skipper makes a move. And you know what? Yeah, buddy. Miranda's kind of into it. So we kind of, we, we jump around. And so... We, we check in on Charlotte. So Charlotte doesn't go out with the girls on, on this date or to hang out at the club. Instead, she goes out on a date with a famous art collector. And she has an amazing time. He's very smart. He's articulate. Uh, she is an art dealer and he's an art collector. Uh, so they kind of, they talk the, the industry jargon. And then he wants her to stay. But she politely declines. And he's like, no problem. I really respect that. Let's put you in a cab and send you home. And it's a really nice moment. And then he goes, ooh, you know what? And he hops in the cab with her because he wants to go to the club because, quote, I have to have sex tonight, unquote. <laughs> so here's where it goes kind of crazy, ladies. Charlotte didn't tell Samantha that she was going out with him. So yeah, she so only told Carrie. She told Carrie, but Samantha doesn't know. And so Samantha, who has bragged to her friends about her sexual prowess, she actually runs into Mr. Big. And tries to close the deal with Mr. Big by pointing out that she's a PR executive and she has access to the downstairs. And she doesn't mean that sexually. She means like there's a room downstairs. She also means it sexually. Yeah, she also means it sexually. <laughs> and he's just like, I'm going to pass. No, thank you. And so then <laughs> she goes and grabs Charlotte's guy, but she doesn't know a Charlotte's guy, like you said. And so she goes and fucks the art dealer. Oh, and he tells her, um, uh, uh. You're not staying the night. I got to get up early. Oh, yeah. He uses Samantha. He uses Charlotte's logic for why she didn't want to sleep with him as the reason to kick out Samantha after. I will say, though, in the scene where it looks like him and Samantha are going to go to Bone Town, he starts lowering himself down. We may get two oral sex scenes here with the men servicing the ladies in this episode. This one's at least implied. This is a fantasy show. Yeah, it really is. This is porn for women. <laughs> um, but then we swing back outside of the club to pick back up with Carrie. 
Yeah, so here uh, Carrie runs into her ex again, and uh, he's uh, super into her her attachmentless sex that she's told him about. But she ends up getting a ride home with Mister Big as she's leaving the club, and uh, she tells him all about her article that she's writing and her theory on having the emotion free sex, uh, quote, just like a man. But Mister Big assumes that this is uh, only because she's never actually been in love. He tells her, and uh, she's curious about his past, and ends up asking him if he's ever been in love. And he tells her, "quote Absolutely, absolutely." Mister Big gets it, which is prime. It's prime, Mister Big line. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. But he's rich, and he's good looking. If we could go back, though, I don't want to jump off the pilot too fast, ladies. Let's talk about my boy Skipper. Who do you ladies think that Carrie should have fixed Skipper up with? So I actually think that Carrie should have fixed Skipper up with the British journalist that she mentions at the start of the episode. The one where she tells the story about how she moved to England, moved from England and met this fabulous New York City businessman and he broke her heart. I was like, that'd be perfect match. They both appreciate love. They both want to be in love. They both want to settle down, have be married, have kids. Not to detract from your point, because I think that's an excellent match. But according to IMDb, that actress, the British woman, was played by Sarah Winters, and she's Australian. And I'm not really sure what the point of making her speak with a British accent was, because <laughs> it was bad. I think in fairness, uh, she's topless in this episode, and she has very British boobs. <laughs> so I think they were just trying to make sure the accent matched those boobs. What are British boobs? <laughs> you know them when you see them. And there you go. We've got the sex. We've got the city. And we're off for six seasons, two movies, and a prequel, and an upcoming sequel. So guys, yeah. I only saw the pilot, but I, I think it set up some cool stuff. It, it, it established the characters really well. It established uh, some of what... Carrie's trying to do and maybe future storylines about her trying out these different things that she's writing about. It set up some maybe some conflict between Samantha and Charlotte. Where does the show kind of go? Where does where is it just this kind of again and again? Or do they tackle bigger issues? Where does it go from here? So the creator Darren Starr stopped writing for the show in its last few seasons. And he was not pleased with how it ended. Quote at the end, it became a conventional romantic comedy. But unless you're there to write every episode, you're not going to get the ending you want. And quote, I think the show ultimately betrayed what it was about, which was women don't ultimately find happiness for marriage. And this is perhaps what, and just like that, is redeeming. Sarah Jessica Parker disagreed, and she told The Independent, quote, I don't think of it as someone diminishing herself by letting a man marry her. It always felt that she had arrived at that on her own. I think Carrie was a bit of a hopeless romantic, so I don't think it was out of character for her to marry. Yeah. And I don't think she had really a conventional, like, she didn't really act conventional when she was getting married. Like, it wasn't like she wasn't into the ring or anything like that. So she wasn't the typical bride. So Sarah Jessica Parker said that the beauty is we can all have lots and lots of opinions about lots of choices Carrie made that we object to or that we stand by. If that's Darren's feeling, I think it's interesting. Okay, well, that's... Yeah, I will say (laughs) there are plenty of times throughout this series where I'm vehemently angry at Carrie's choices. But 
she is a flawed character and it was really easy to relate to that. So I never hated her as a person, but there definitely are parts where you're like, no, (laughs) don't do it. Not it's out of character, just to be clear, but like, you know, you don't want her to make the decision she's making. Yeah, I I think that goes for every character. All All the women have those moments where you find yourself screaming at the screen going, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. Obviously somebody gets married in the show. Uh, Let's not give that away, but I assume we go through like a litany of, of boyfriends and, and fellas throughout Nance. What what are some of what, what's your favorite guy from, from the run for any of the ladies? So my favorite boyfriend is actually Smith Jared who dates Samantha. So two first names. Yep. Yep. Two first names. Uh, so he is a, he's a model that Samantha ends up representing for PR. Mm-hmm. But I really I enjoyed their their relationship. It was very. I think it was a very like equal relationship that they both had. They both respected each other. He was somebody that like, you know, kind of made Samantha stop for a second. And, you know, she she was basically like she was promiscuous. She had multiple partners that, and she slept with whoever she wanted and she was smith jared was the person who made her be in a monogamous monogamous relationship for once so i enjoyed watching that relationship unfold and at one point in the series samantha gets sick and smith jared is a very supportive boyfriend and he refuses to leave her even though she's continuously tries to push him away and does you know some pretty mean things to try and get him to leave her i think that th- he's one of the f- the few people that outside of samantha's friends she lets her guard down with the most and then one episode that i remember a lot when i think back to the to the series that stands out for me with their relationship is when samantha is going through a low point in her illness uh he gets her some flowers and tells her that uh when they will bloom in the spring that sh- just like she will and I think oh, that that's, that's uh, yeah, <laughs> he's definitely a charmer. <laughs> and he and he's an incredibly eligible bachelor, so he could have any woman. He doesn't need to put up with the shit. So it's really you're, you're right. And I totally forgot about Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Nicole, who's uh, your favorite boyfriend? Uh, Aiden, 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 Aiden. <laughs> One of my favorite and most remembered scenes from the series is the one where Carrie loses her mind when Ada moves in to her small studio apartment. <laughs> She's feeling claustrophobic. Every time she comes in the door, he's like, what you doing? What you see? What you have? He's like really piped, like pumped up that she's <laughs> home. He's he's awesome. Um, she makes this big stance about needing the quiet and they have this curtain kind of dividing the room and she goes, and he's, he's very agreeable to the quiet that she's asking for and she goes and sits on the other side of the curtain and like a moment later comes through the curtain she's like so what's she doing curls up on his lap and the last line of the vo is always stuck with me saying like sometimes once you say you need something you don't need it anymore and it's incredible Mm -hmm. he's he's a great boyfriend he's uh, uh the type of man that i think i would see myself with um, and so I, I pick Aiden, David, 
Do you have a favorite boyfriend? <laughs> yeah, I've got just the pilot, so I don't I don't have a lot of good choices. We've got the art dealer who's an asshole. Uh, Mr. Big is rich and good looking, so fuck him. He doesn't need to be charming, too. He's got too many advantages. I've got the guy who is cool with promiscuous sex. Now, he does give good oral from what we can tell, um, but he he's a douche. Um, and he has spiky hair, and it looks like he had frosted tips. He did. <laughs> I'm left with Skipper. And you know I like Skipper, but even if I didn't like Skipper, he's the only non-rich douchebag that this show presents to us in the pilot. So I got to root for Skipper. So you are a Skipper. Could you even pick someone else, like maybe one of the main ladies? Ooh, Who are you? Okay. So am I a Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, or Miranda? Um... I think I was, a, <laughs> no, I, I wasn't as bougie as her, but I was a Charlotte in my youth because she's very like idealistic and hopeful. Like she wants to get married, like, and fuck, and I don't know that this is true, but I feel like she wants to get married in Vermont. And like, she wants to have like a maple syrup bottle going out to everyone that has like her and her husband's initials on it. And like, she's going to have her dog <laughs> bring the ring down. Um, and her dog, she dresses up. olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> so like the dog has like a pillow that's from her great grandmother. And they use that pillow like during the Civil War. It's a whole fucking bougie thing. But I think that her vibe of like she's going to find love that I can relate to in my youth. Now I think I'm a bitter old Miranda. I'm just done with people. I don't want to have to go to a club and talk to anyone. <laughs> I, I don't even want people in the friend zone. I want people in the fucking Twilight Zone. I hope you all get murdered by puppets or Muppets or aliens whatever stay away i hate people <laughs> nicole what about what about you which which one of the ladies would you be so so wait a second you no. just recited to me all the details of charlotte's dream wedding but you can't name one other boyfriend from the series <laughs> <laughs> is that her actual dream that just seems like what she would want oh i see she's like the person who doesn't eat a twizzler but eats like canadian licorice or some shit like she's bougie about her licorice like she's like, oh, my licorice doesn't be doesn't have to be twizzled. Like, fuck you, okay? <laughs> she likes straight licorice. <laughs> straight licorice, no twists in that licorice. <laughs> uh, what about you, Nicole? Which one would you, would you be? Like you, I'm. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm just one of them. I probably, I definitely have little bits of most of them in good ways and bad. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to be Charlotte when right. I watched in the early two thousands. She wasn't outrageously dressed like Carrie or outrageously sexual like Samantha. She just felt like a nice middle ground watching it now again. I don't know if that stands, but <laughs> back then I wanted to be Charlotte for sure. Nancy, do you think you're like kind of a mix of the ladies as well? Yeah, I think uh, I think we all would imagine ourselves to be any mix of the the women at some point in our lives. But I would add that sometimes I do feel more like a Lexi Featherstone that we see later on in the series, oh. who is played by uh, Kristen Johnson. <laughs> and uh, wait, Lexi Featherstone, the the one inspired by Amy Sacco, the legendary party girl who always ended up on page <laughs> six because of her bar hopping and bed hopping. This is who you identify with. Not for the bar hopping or bed hopping part, <laughs> because I had no idea okay. that that's who it was inspired by. <laughs> my only reason for thinking that I would I feel like I would relate to her at some point is because 
I feel like I'm just one trip away of a major fall out of a sky rise apartment. Oh, Lexi Featherstone sounds to me like either a porn star or a G.I. Joe character. Like I could have imagined buying Lexi Featherstone complete with helicopter from Toys R Us back in 1987. No? Okay. Fuck you guys. I have no idea what to say to that. Those are the women that we would be or are most like. But if we flip the coin here... Which of the four women would we have dated? So I think I probably would have gone for Samantha. I think that mm. um, Charlotte's a little too waspy for me. No. And I'd probably be dragged to the country club one too many times <laughs> for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> and Miranda, she's too uh, bossy and controlling sometimes. So yes. Yes, she I'd, is. I'd, I'd rebel against that relationship real quick. <laughs> and it would not last at all. <laughs> And I think I think the second that Carrie broke the fourth wall for me, I'd feel like I'd get nervous if there's like a ghost. I'd be like, who is she talking to? <laughs> who do I need to report this to? I, I am scared. <laughs> so, Nicole, which one of the girls would you have dated? Ah, oh, geez. I feel like all women have dated a Samantha in a male or female form. <laughs> but I'd probably <laughs> date Carrie, I guess. I'm not into Miranda. I couldn't keep up with Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not enough blue in my blood for Charlotte. Oh, that bouginess. David, let's shock everyone who's listening with who you would date. Well, if I really, I mean, Samantha, 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 Samantha. Um, here's the reason why, though. <laughs> I realized that. Because she's sexual? She's sexual. No, no. <laughs> I mean, yes. No, but here's the reason with, with Samantha. I think I know exactly what I was getting with Samantha. I think Carrie would play head games yeah. with me because she'd be writing a new fucking article every other week. And she'd be like, oh, today we do this game where I jerk you off, but I don't finish it. It's called an article that says fuck over your boyfriend and make him go insane. Or she'd be like, that's what she would do every fucking week. Like, I'd wake up with things in my asshole. And she's like, I'm writing an article about what happens when I stick a, a Funko Pop up your asshole. Oh, so. Wait a second. Yeah. Miranda is actually your butthole, babe. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the episode, Nancy, when she's training for the marathon and she hooks up with that guy and he like licks her butt and she like freaks out and then she's like, hey, do you want a massage? And he starts like aiming his anus like at her and just like she yells into his butthole, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> she's your butthole babe i don't want to do that all the more reason not to date miranda as if there wasn't enough <laughs> yeah and then charlotte i i don't think i could hold on to charlotte there'd be too many times where i'm like honey we can't afford the hamptons again and she'd be like mm, yes so i think samantha i'd know what i was getting i'd go in clear eyes full heart and then i'd still think i could change her yeah. and settle her down and i'd lose but i'd have a good time doing it as you look at the four women and we talk about the the influence that this show had, do we think that Sex in the City was a good influence on women? I feel a lot of things that felt shocking about these women being open to sex and enjoying partners and not settling were just really outdated mind frames about how women are held to different standards when it comes to sex, being single, dating. So I don't think it's a bad influence for young women, but also the young women these days have, have very different challenges and priorities. So I don't know if it would resonate with mm. them. 
Yeah. Nancy, do you agree? I mean, I know you watched the whole series, but like, what's your take on the influence? Yeah, I think like maybe for like the time it was a, a groundbreaking show with how women could view their relationships, both romantic and their personal friendships. I think that the show portrayed these women as open with their sexual partners and what they wanted out of those relationships. And also they were open with each other, even though their personalities yeah. differed wildly between the the four of them. I think it showed something different that we didn't typically see on on TV at the time. Absolutely. How about you, David? Did you uh, do you think it portrays women in a good light? So I think it does. I I think the most important thing I like about it is that it seems to to make it okay that women have agency and, and about their sex lives, about their careers. I think it's important that all four women um, have careers, and it's there. It's mentioned in the episode, uh, the pilot episode, that each four of them do have careers, and with the exception of Miranda in the pilot, who's a lawyer, uh, the other three women, their careers actually play into a little bit of the plot. Samantha has them all go to the club because she runs the PR for that club. Obviously, Carrie's writing an article on uh, she's a writer and Charlotte meets a guy at an art uh, event. And so she's she's an art dealer. So I think it it, it does show that women can can have jaw. And obviously, this is true, <laughs> but TV doesn't always show this, that women can have agency over their lives. So I, I think that's really good. I do think there's a at least in the pilot men are treated a little stereotypically i think it's it's there's good looking rich guys and of course they're sexual and the ladies want them and then there's like nerdy dudes like poor skipper who like even has like mad magazine opened up on his computer um but i i don't think that takes away anything and i i i mean to compare it to the other hbo shows we've seen uh there's a lot of cases of women are literally just like strippers in the episode we've seen so we watched Ballers and it was like every woman you saw this episode was a stripper or a housewife. So I think it is it is important to know that if there is this sort of broad stroking a little bit of the male characters. So what? Fuck them. They're not that interesting. The female characters of the show really have all the interest. And in the pilot, I don't think they do very well on the Bechdel test. They do talk about men a lot. But again, their careers do play a factor. And I assume as the series goes on. There are conversations that just aren't about men. But I think that's one of the things I liked about this show most is the four main characters. I think they establish these characters very well. And even some of the storylines that they set up, I, I I was interested in. Like, I want to know what happens when Charlotte finds out that Samantha fucked her art guy. What about about you, Nance? The Obviously, the characters for me, what were some of the, the takeaways that you had about the series, but also about the pilot? They They're very quick episodes. But there's there's enough character development there that you become invested in their lives and you want to see where their journey takes them. And you find yourself rooting for them one minute. And then, like I said, next minute, you're throwing your remote across the room at whatever <laughs> stupid stuff they've done. <laughs> so I think that you you do like treat them as like your own friends would in some cases where, you know, your friend tells you that you know, she went out with some guy and you're like, I told you a million times never to go out with that guy. He's a dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you you definitely could relate to these ladies. And some of the gentlemen. Uh, yeah, the pacing was good. I like that it's quick in and out. You definitely identify with the characters. You see yourself in all of them and the struggles that they have. And in a lot of cases, they say things out loud that 
people, or at least typically, you're afraid to say or or even think. So there's a lot of pros about this show. I'm 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 much easier with my cons. <laughs> there's there's big themes that are cons about this show. I think we should kind of attack some of the smaller things first and then we can really get into kind of the places where this show failed culturally. Yeah. Yeah. I was not personally a big fan of the speaking into the camera thing. The mixing the mains in the interview montage at the beginning was confusing, knowing that many of them were not main characters, but some were. But I understand since this goes away later, I'm they probably are on the same page with me. <laughs> but, um, what are some other specific cons, David, that you found um, in the show that you watched? I think you're right. I think that that talk to the camera thing, I, I found it really interesting in the opening of the episode, because to your point, I thought it was all about, you know, the the characters that they were setting up. And, it, and for me, the way I took it was that's how Carrie met these people, because we see her talk. We see Skipper in this and then we see her talking to Skipper and we see Charlotte in this. So either she roped in her friends to do this. And it was a little weird, though, like that we'd have an interview with her, like talking to someone at the bar and it seemed like we are Carrie like as the audience but then like suddenly we're at the top of a indoor rock climbing thing and there's a sweaty dude like women don't pull out enough and I'm like are, did Carrie climb the rock wall to talk to this asshole like I don't understand <laughs> are we not Carrie anymore so it was really confusing also Carrie has Zach Morris powers she literally can stop time and talk to the camera and the other characters don't know so she does this twice in the episode that really confused me when she's out at lunch with her friend and she sees her ex, she turns to the camera and tells you about her ex and her friend who's sitting right next to her, who's standing there while we're watching, doesn't react to her talking to us. He just sits there in the middle of conversation and waits for her to return. Then later, when she's on the phone with Charlotte, Charlotte says to her, um, oh, I'm going out to meet this art director. His name's so-and-so. And Carrie turns to the camera and, and she breaks the fourth wall again. And, and for those that may not know, the fourth wall is the logic of if you're looking at your TV, all of the characters are contained within three walls, the, the, the back, the left and the right. And the camera is kind of where the fourth wall would be. Right. So we're kind of there is no wall there. And you, this is very obvious on sitcoms. But we're there and Carrie turns to us. And now suddenly we're not just watching, we're participating. And she'll be like, well, Charlotte, the guy she's dating is a notable eligible bachelor, blah, 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 blah. And Charlotte just waits on the phone patiently in silence. <laughs> and then like at one point, she even says like she asks a question and Carrie answers it to us. And then Charlotte says, no, 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 but don't answer as if no time had flowed. So it's very like Zach Morris timeout. And I found it really fucking annoying. I thought the documentary stuff worked very well. It was inconsistent. But this talking to the camera shit, I'm fine with narration. I don't I don't talk to me. I don't want to be at the club with you. It was very strange. <laughs> Nancy, what what about you? Did did this bother you as much as me or am I am I off the wall here? Yeah, no, I think we, the the pilot has always been one of my least favorite episodes of Sex and the City. Um just mm -hmm. for the the whole interview portion that this featured in the episode, but like thankfully they eventually kind of steer away from that and adjust the format. So it makes you kind of think like I was just thinking when you were talking about that, like, oh, so like when the guy's going down, when her when Carrie's ex is going down on her and we're watching him, are are we there then? Yes. In the room <laughs> watching. Floating above <laughs> like, him like a ghost. And then does that mean that Carrie is then watching Samantha hook up with the art guy? 
<laughs> she's everywhere. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's just creeping. Yeah, it's spooky. I don't I don't like fourth wall address. Nicole, I know these are kind of petty. We had some other complaints too, though, right? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones um, that we need to really address, and, and they have addressed it as far as um, acknowledging that it exists, but there's a lack of diversity and like mm -hmm. a not quite right representation of LGBTQ. I know many years later, Cynthia Nixon, who plays Miranda, she comes out as queer and has been pretty a vocal advocate for queer folks and LGBTQ issues. She has been married to her wife since 2008. She's racked up quite a few GLAAD awards. And in the 2018 campaign in the primary for governor of New York, she finished second to Andrew Cuomo. And in the race, she almost became one of the first openly LGBTQ governors in United States history. Yeah, yeah. But that was not during the show. Um, some fun facts about that same election cycle. Kate Brown won her special election in Oregon, making her the first bisexual woman governor to win an election in the U.S. Jared Polis won his election in Colorado to become the first openly gay man to win a gubernatorial election. 2018 gubernatorial elections were very, very queer, and we love to see it. All of that said, Miranda was not queer in Sex in the City. And like essentially all the other facts of society and TV, the show mostly kept LGBTQ characters to the sidelines. More like a set dressing than centered full characters. There are two gay characters that end up together. And I believe someone was quoted saying, just because two men suck dick doesn't mean they have to suck each other's dicks. So this is accurate, Nicole. <laughs> The problem is, is from my understanding, these two gentlemen are not good matches for each other, but they're just the two queer men they had laying around. And so they were like, well, they'll do. Now, in fairness, TV writing is notorious for jamming characters together that have no sense in the plot being together, that have no sense in the characterization being together. But for a show that I think got a lot of female representation correct and a, a lot of representation of of females as minorities represented well it just really dropped the ball here and said hey we got two gay guys i guess they have to get together there are apparently no other gay men in new york well minorities in the case of women but not necessarily minorities when it comes to people of color so it was not until 2003 that blair underwood joined the cast as a love interest for miranda um Cynthia Nixon was quoted saying, while all of us and no one more than Sarah Jessica had lobbied for this for a long, long time, I'm a huge fan of the show, but we had an area in which we really could use improvement. It's certainly this one. I think it's about time. Yeah. I noticed in the first episode, there were a bunch of people of color in the background of the coffee shop when Carrie was there with Skipper, but no lines of dialogue. Um, they're not front and center. There's no diversity in the main cast or any of the subcasts at all. This is not singly to Sex in the City. This is TV in general. And obviously, we're seeing a lot more of that change currently. But this was this was the norm for TV then. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if it's too ambitious to say break down all of these walls show and you're responsible for this in hindsight. I, I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but I think it's kind of like 
looking at it in, in a retrospective way, it's kind of a glaring missing piece. Yeah, I think it's fair to always think that shows can do better and, and writers can do better and directors can do better and cast can do better. You can always do better. I, I think we can say that Sex and the City got a lot of right and gave a lot of representation to underrepresented uh, groups like women who somehow aren't fucking represented enough in, in television. But there's going to be this weird thing in history, I think, where 50 years, 100 years from now, we're going to look back at television and go, were there not black people in New York in the 90s? Like, did they literally not have black people? Because when you look at Seinfeld, Friends, Caroline in the City, Sex in the City, you look at all of these shows and there's no black people. There are no people of color in any of these shows. And when they are, they are background characters relegated to smaller roles or cameos. And again, this doesn't all fall on Sex and the City. Like you said, Nicole, there are plenty of shows who who have the same problem. But it's this weird like gap that we made where we decided that all shows are going to take place in New York City. But this alternate reality New York City where it's all Midwestern white people who somehow live there. Who are incredibly wealthy. Like the friend's apartment that nobody could afford based on the yes. jobs that they have. <laughs> well, Nancy, you, I would say, are our most thorough watcher of this show. Are there any other shows that are kind of like this show that if they like it, they should watch Sex in the City? Yeah, so I think probably if you if you enjoy Sex in the City, I would suggest watching Girls. If you like the the relationship aspect of Sex and the City or Gossip Girl, yeah. if you lean more towards the fashion interest of Sex and the City. And then also, like I mentioned before, that I watched The Carrie Diaries, I would recommend that as well, too. <laughs> How about you, David? Uh, what would be uh, your recommendation? Uh, so I think, weirdly, I think a lot of shows remind me of Sex and the City. Because I think it's been so influential. So I, I I feel like, although I haven't seen Sex in the City, I've seen a lot of shows that are influenced by it. Saved by the Bell, of course. I think a lead character who talks to the camera, who could stop time, is just trying to get laid, has <laughs> schemes. She has schemes. She is the Zach Morris of the females in the 90s. Um, she even has the blonde hair. Bad which hair. is not natural, by the way. In the pilot, she's a fucking brunette. Just like Zach Morris, uh, Mark Paul Gosler. Love you, MP. Just like Hermione, her hair goes from like this ratty mess to like this nice soft curl as time goes yeah, on. Yeah, it's like a glow up. I also think, weirdly, I <laughs> it was maybe the direct address, but I think shows like Clarissa Explains It All and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, some of those other shows, I think, where a female lead sort of brought you into their world. Um, I think are, are sort of reminded me of this and, and not that they're the same genre, of course, but having a female who can talk directly to the audience is something that I think a lot of male dominated shows did like Save the Bell, like Boy Meets World, like a lot of those shows where it was just a young boy. Um, even Ferris Bueller's Day Off is an example with that direct address. So I do think yeah. although the direct address didn't vibe for me, I think that combined with the narration it's good to hear a strong female voice. So some of those shows reminded me of it. Nicole, is there any more modern stuff that maybe I'm missing out on here that more links to Sex in the City? Well, it's kind of like the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel show in the sense that both shows are about women doing unexpected things for their genders. She's a comedian. She, in that time period of the show, just females are not comedians. But otherwise, 
I'm not sure which show because I don't think Sex in the City is like any other show. I mean, there are features of the show that like female friendships and their relationships and a lot of the things that Nancy, both you and David have mentioned, but they never focus so much on women navigating sex itself and having a lot of it. So for the first time, it was putting women shamelessly in charge of their own sexuality. So I don't think that there there are similarities. I don't think that there's one show that's like this in that way. When you mentioned Marvelous Miss Maisel, mm-hmm. that's made by the same creator of Gilmore Girls. When I that's think right. of another show with strong female leads, I think of Gilmore Girls. When I think of those two shows, though, I kind of think of them as like Gilmore Girls is like the the good girl, stay at home, small town, like this is how we survive in this type of environment, whereas Sex in the City seems like, yes, but if you put women in, you know, high paying jobs in, in stressful New York City nightlife, this is how they survive. So I kind of think of them as like sur- female survival shows, but in based on the location. David, I know you like Gilmore Girls. You recommend it to a lot of people. Are you recommending Sex in the City to people? To clarify, Nicole, I love Gilmore Girls. Uh, Rory Gilmore. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is is the greatest creation of of modern fiction, and one day I would like to retire what? to Stars Hollow. That's uh, a bold claim. It, it's a bold claim, but I'll, I'll back it up. We could have a bonus episode. I've actually stood in that square. You have? Yes. Where is it? It's <laughs> where is it? <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> okay. It's in L.A. You can do the studio tour, and they take you right to Stars Hollow. Okay, so we need a sponsor. Okay. So that we could do a trip to go to Stars Hollow. <laughs> um, so I would recommend Sex in the City for the same reason. Uh, one of the same reasons I would recommend Gilmore Girls, which is I think it, it does speak to female empowerment and female agency, which should be something that every show does, but not every show does. I mean, I think the weird thing is what Sex in the City does for women by putting them at the forefront and giving them agency of their own decisions and their own plot lines and their own stories is something that you would assume 50% of shows do, but they don't. I think when you think to yourself, should I watch Sex in the City? I would say yes. And then I would say, and do it soon because you have time to catch up and you could catch up and then watch the new series. So it gives you new content to follow up. Nancy, I'll probably be watching the new series with you. (laughs) What do you think? Would you recommend the old series to me, to other folks in our audience? Yeah, I think I, I was just going to say, I was like, I think that you uh, aren't going to have a choice. We are going to, we watch <laughs> Sex in the City now <laughs> that we have watched the pilot and then we're having the, the new show come out. So good luck with that. <laughs> um, but I would recommend, I would definitely recommend people watch it like for those same reasons that, you know, there's a show coming out that now is a good time as any to to start. And I think that also, it played a major role in, in our society by opening yeah. those doors to where we are today and other shows that have followed in its path after. So I think it's a very iconic piece of HBO's history, too. I think, you, you know, we mentioned that this prom king and queen of HBO, I think it's mm-hmm. going to be one of those shows that HBO is going to be known for throughout time, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, and it's like sexual without being porny. Mm-hmm. Each main character, like we've said, uh, I relate to for different reasons. I think 
Carrie is flawed and likable as much as any other person. And I also don't think it's a total drag for men to watch. There's lots of naked people. Yeah. I think any major pull in one direction, whether it be crass, prudy, snobby, it's all really well balanced by the other characters. So, yeah, well-balanced breakfast of a show if you like eating sex-frosted Wheaties. I'd recommend it. (laughs) Who doesn't like eating sex-frosted Wheaties? (laughs) So, ladies, thank you for hanging out, talking sex in the city for us. Nancy, thank you so much for joining Nicole and I. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Thank God. (laughs) We would be so lost without you on this one. Well, that wraps up this episode. Uh, Next week, we swing to the other coast where we will try to unravel some big little lies. Check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone, and our guest, Nancy King. It's Not TV is a production of Brewit Media.